the panic buying and the anxiety of people, you know, who are watching the news cycle 24 seven, all of that, in my opinion, is an attempt to control. It's attempt to, to understand if I understand everything, I'll feel safe and in control. If I have enough food and stuff packed up for a decade, then at least I'll feel in control. But the true control lies in the fact that you have no control over anything, except again, the fact that you are here in this moment right now. Have you ever let stress get the better of you? Want to know how to maximize your productivity? My name is Tommy Bowie. Follow me as I deep dive into the minds of successful entrepreneurs and industry professionals on the tools, tips, and strategies they use to overcome stress and boost productivity in their daily lives, especially when the going gets tough and the stakes are high. This is the Stressless Entrepreneur Podcast. My guest today writes and speaks on mindfulness and resilience. Her platform gained widespread attention in 2018 when her description of the abuse she suffered at the hands of her ex-husband launched a national scandal and he was removed from the White House. More recently, she has been opening the conversation around earned redemption and life after Me Too and cancel culture. Her perspective is unique because she approaches it from the standpoint of compassion and forgiveness. With a background in biochemistry and brain-based teaching, she utilizes the tools of mindfulness and meditation as the backbone of her work offering support in dealing with experiences of anxiety, anger, stress and trauma. She has been featured on CNN, MSNBC, Fox News and NPR and is published in the Washington Post and Time magazine. You can follow her on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or find out more at thepoolofgrace.com. I have with me Jenny Willoughby. Jenny, thank you for being a part of the Stressless Entrepreneur podcast. Hello. Thank you, Tommy. Jenny, the reason why I got you here today is for a couple of things. I just wanted to talk about, one, the adversity in particular in your situation with domestic violence and abuse. And second is resilience, you know, how you overcame such abuse and trauma. Then I'd like to dig deeper into how those past events have shaped you as a person and made you the person you are today. Is that okay with you? Yes, lovely. I can't wait. Now, before we do that, are you able to tell us quickly a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do? Yes. So I used to be a classroom school teacher and realized that my passion was actually not teaching the subject matter, but was teaching my students how to truly overcome obstacles and be resilient in the face of adversity. I was dealing with students who oftentimes had a lot of difficulties at home. And just because of my own personal background, growing up with some family issues and some mental health issues in my family, I was practicing resilience on such a daily basis and saw how important that would be moving you know, this next generation of students forward. And so for the last five years, I have been doing workshops on mindfulness, and meditation as tools to resilience. And more recently, I have also been working one-on-one coaching with people who have been impacted by Me Too, both perpetrators and victims of the abuse, as well as people who have been canceled online through cancel culture. Yeah, and you mentioned Me Too and cancel culture. Do you believe your past experiences through the difficulty that you had with your ex-husband Did that help you in terms of understanding what it was like being on on the other side? I think I have a unique perspective. It's something that has become more and more obvious as I've seen uh, 
interviews and interacted with people online, my perspective surrounding specifically my ex-husband was I am leaving the door open to his choice to do the inner work, work with therapists, overcome whatever obstacles there are in his life in order to change and to become better and to be redeemed as a result of the violence that he inflicted upon me and, and apparently on his his other relationships. And mm -hmm. I do feel that way to a certain extent about the Me Too movement as well, not necessarily per with that personal connection to it, but recognizing that we needed the like anger and the collective rising up of this is not okay in order to get us to the moment where we can actually start to take it seriously. But my hope is on the other side of that now is a conversation about the systemic patterns and the societal expectations that got us to a point where those types of behavior were accepted, were covered up, were excused. So now we can start talking about solutions so that we don't have those problems going forward. So Jenny, in terms of the Me Too movement, it's quite conflicting relative to cancel culture. Do you feel that the Me Too movement gave you a voice in the platform that you were in? Yes, and I believe the Me Too movement, which began in 2016 with Bill Cosby and continued in 2017 with Harvey Weinstein, opened up the door for me to be able to have a platform to speak and for people to certainly take me more seriously. But in mm -hmm. addition to that, the Me Too movement focused on something that, if I can speak grandly, is a universal experience for most women to have been in a situation of discomfort, of harassment, heaven forbid, of abuse. Whereas domestic violence still seems like something that people are not talking about as openly to sort of distance yourself from that conversation. So yes, the ability to have that platform, the ability to be taken seriously, I credit a lot of that with the work that was done previous with Me Too. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a lot more work to do to continue the conversation around domestic violence and giving victims of interpersonal violence a, a voice and a platform. We've briefly mentioned your husband. Just for a bit of context, are you able to give a quick rundown on the timeline of what happened with your ex-husband? Yeah, so I was married from 2009 to about 2014 and was in a abusive marriage, primarily emotionally and verbally, but also physically abusive marriage. And several years later on my blog, I described that experience as after I had healed through it and done the forgiveness, I described that experience hoping that other people would be able to see themselves in that. Mm -hmm. About a year after I posted that on my public space, my ex-husband was working in the White House under President Trump. And mm -hmm. when the media got a hold of that, they, of course, then turned it into, in my opinion, a much more and going back to the ability to have this voice, if my ex-husband wasn't who he was and wasn't working for who he was working for, I don't know that that I would have been given the platform that I was. And that's distressing to me yep. because the media at that point made it about 
Trump's ineptitude and the bungling of how it was handled with, you know, their press secretary and with their chief of staff at the time, and really didn't pay a lot of credence to the fact that this was domestic violence. This was chronic domestic violence that was something that they really could have made a difference with by talking more openly about it. Mm -hmm. And did Rob reach out to you during that time just to have a conversation? So I had actually been in regular contact with Rob. He is the one who told me that my blog post was going to be picked up by the media. Okay. I, yep. I was very mm -hmm. well aware and I was very much in contact with him. Ultimately, he had to face the consequences of the truth, which was there were coming forward with the similar allegations of abuse. And so, you know, whatever transpired as a result of consequences of that, were justified. I did have some contact with him in the year following the entire White House scandal as well, but it became clear to me that he was not looking to truly move through whatever difficulties he had that put him in a situation to be abusive. It became clear that he was more interested in getting his life back and my work and my goal in the space that I'm in is to teach people tools to actually move through something as opposed to just move past something. And so I've not had contact with him for over a year. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because the work that you do comes with forgiveness and compassion. So it looks as though during the initial divorce, you gave him the opportunity to say, should we still be in contact? Can we still be in contact? Let's try to work it out to give him that time to reassess and be self-aware that he needs to fix a problem. Was that a tough time for you going through that period and seeing him not own up to his inner demons? Yeah, it is. It is tough. I think one of the reasons why I've chosen the work that I have is because I've seen so many positive changes within myself as I step mm -hmm. up and do that quote unquote work to work through my, you know, past demons and negative patterns. And so it was really concerning to me that of all the opportunities and second chances and encouragement that I had given Rob over the years that we ended in a situation that I was convinced that his personal behavior being exposed publicly and impacting his work would be the rock bottom aha moment that he needed to truly face his inner demons that he had a problem and that he needed to do the work. So it was really upsetting to me to be in that moment in 2018 when I'm here talking truthfully about our marriage and he's denying it publicly yep. that it was clear he was not yet willing or capable of doing that inner reflective work. Do you believe that because he's in such a public environment or has such a public face that his particular environment and the people that he's working with has advised him not to go deeper into those inner demons and just focus on the job at hand? Sure. I think being in politics, being in a public service position, that reaction of a lot of people around him advising him. But let's be honest, this mm -hmm. is something that impacts every area of his life. And what we would say to, say, an alcoholic who choices with drinking have now suddenly impacted their professional career. 
we would tell them to get help. We would tell them, look, you're not going to be able to move forward until you've worked through this problem. Mm -hmm. And there should be, could be systems in place to assist them in that the way that there are for, for other issues. Mm -hmm. And I also think that regardless when, when Rob lost his job, when all of this came forward and he chose to step down, that was his, his opportunity to acknowledge himself that he had work to do. And I think he may have to a certain extent, just from private conversations that I've had with him, but the focus still remained, how do I get my job back? How do I get my life back? And in my personal opinion, and in my work that I've continued to do, you don't get your old life back. You don't get your old job back. It becomes something new as you evolve through what got you to that space. Mm -hmm. I told myself I wasn't going to give Rob the attention in this episode, but I feel like we've already spoken too much about his scenario. I want to talk more about yourself and the emotions. Are the emotions still there? Are they trigger points that bring back some of that past trauma? I think in 2018, when I was being asked to speak about it and being asked details in the media, being interviewed in public in, in full view of the entire world about the abuse that I suffered was triggering for me and brought up some post-traumatic stress. Mm -hmm. But I also have used my tools in order to move through it so that I'm not triggered specifically by Rob. I'm not triggered specifically by situations of interpersonal violence that I see in the media and in the news. I have a meditation practice, a daily meditation practice, and I also focus on mindfulness if I do find myself in a, in a situation where I feel anxious or where I feel triggered by something from the past. And so, so the short answer to your question is no, I, I did not feel triggered. I did not feel as though I was reliving anything when I was going through this or when I had to talk to Rob or talk about him. And that is for the sole reason that I have these tools that I have worked through this and that's what I'm grateful to have the opportunity to teach other people, not just people coming from situations of domestic violence, yep. but people in, in any situation of chronic anger or anxiety or trauma to teach them skills to be able to move through it. Like I said, a lot of people try to just move on, move past it. And that, that's mm -hmm. st stalling the energy and stalling the memory and, and stalling the the trigger within your body physiologically, as opposed to really truly allowing yourself to move through it so that you've recovered, you haven't just moved on. Do you think your ability to cope with stress has changed with this past experience? Or do you believe your ability to cope was already there? It just needed to go through and be in that live environment? So I believe that I have been gifted with a particularly resilient outlook since birth. And looking mm -hmm. back at just the life experiences that I was subjected to, a father who was absent and struggled with substance abuse, a mother who suffered from mental illness and was quite neglectful and, and not present for the majority of my life growing up, mm -hmm. and then to, to be in other situations, both of my own design, but also the things that happened to me where I just already had a resilient, optimistic, 
hopeful outlook on life. And then of course, having that outlook made it easier for me to handle even being in the, in the public eye the way that I was in 2018, but also to be able to use that situation as I had all the other situations in my life for my own betterment. The thought that I often have in difficult and trying situations is not, why is this happening to me? Or I can't believe this is happening to me. I often have the perspective of, oh, why is this happening to me? As though there's something to be learned from it. There's a lesson that I have not yet learned and I'm learning it now. That's how I approach most adversity in my life. Yep. And I want to take you back to something that you said earlier. And that's one is pushing forward and the other is moving on. They seem to mean similar things, but there's a key difference in there, isn't it? One moving on rather than pushing forward. Yeah, I think in previous generations, say our grandparents' generation and older, it was valued to have a stiff upper lip, Mm -hmm. to muscle through, to not get emotional, you know, just life is what it is and you push forward. But I think that that caused a lot of emotional trauma and emotional stunting even in that generation that then now has carried on a couple of generations to what we have today, because that is not resilience. That's just a version of strength that allows someone to keep going in the midst of trials. Resilience is how hopefully and how easily you're able to move through the trial. So it is possible to be angry and bitter and destructive and overcome a lot of adversity in your life. I would choose to be hopeful and forgiving and compassionate in order to move through that adversity in my life, just for the simple fact of how either of those emotions impact your body physiologically, but also for how much more resilient it makes you in future situations. Yeah, and it comes down to if you're moving on, you've accepted the emotions you've accepted the past and you're letting that go from your mind compared to you know someone who's just pushing forward holding whatever emotions that are there and just putting in the backburn and that may resolve the problem in the short term but in the long term there might be a trigger that, that comes back and brings those emotions back because you haven't really accepted oh living with that emotion yeah Absolutely. That's how people who suffer from chronic anger get caught in that spiral because Mm -hmm. one small situation that triggers anger is actually triggering the anger from everything you've ever experienced in your life if you haven't processed it fully. Or the same thing for someone who lives in fear, anxiety, or, or feeling as though they're a victim. If one small instance happens that makes them feel that way, then they live in that spiral of everything is victimizing me, everything is anxiety inducing, as opposed to be able to being able to process each individual situation as one small entity and being able to move forward and not lump them all together. Like you were saying, Mm -hmm. there's a a funny scene in a movie. It's not even a funny scene. It's a scene from the movie bridge of spies starring Tom Hanks Mm -hmm. and the Russian spy that, that Tom Hanks is sort of working with and, and helping in the movie. There's multiple times where Tom Hanks goes, why aren't you worried? And the spy says, well, would it help? Okay. It's recognizing that the worry that you have, the anger that you have, the anxiety that you have, the fear that you have is more often than not 
not going to be helpful in the situation that you are currently in. And more often than not, it's a response to how a situation was brought up in your life in the past. And so for me, resilience is understanding that each situation is unique, is happening in this moment right now, and can be dealt with with the tools that you have available to you, rather than reverting to past behaviors and past patterns. So do you have any advice for people in terms of going through adversity and having that resilience when they are in a stressed environment and they let stress or the adrenaline of stress get the better of them? Yeah, it's a practice. Mm -hmm. And what I've heard from high-powered executives or people in finance, bankers in, in New York, is they get to that point and I offer strategies and then the strategies become frustrating to them. It doesn't automatically make everything better. Yep. Sometimes when someone is triggered from when they're used to being in stress and in anger, it's a muscle you need to practice to be able to diffuse it. So when I offer strategies for mindfulness and awareness and resilience, they immediately go, well, this doesn't work because I'm still angry because I'm still stressed because <laughs> mm -hmm. my mm -hmm. mind is still racing. And what I would say to people is it's absolutely a practice and a muscle that needs to be trained. One of my educational backgrounds is in brain-based teaching, which is within the classroom. But the, the way that I think about that is this concept of neuroplasticity, that the majority of the pathways in your brain are the same pathways that you use every day. So it becomes a less taxing on your mental load to be able to do things that are habitual. Mm -hmm. So if someone has the habit of being angry and responding in anger with high blood pressure and flushed cheeks and the whole thing, now they need to start a new pathway in their brain. And it's not easy because the pathway towards anger is well-worn like a path in the woods. It's just much easier to walk down that path. But the path of deep breathing and diffusing the anger is one that perhaps they haven't used in a long time, if ever. And that means if we're using the woods as an analogy, that's like hiking through the jungle with no machete because you have to weed through that difficulty in order to create that new neural pathway. Mm -hmm. And the good part of all of that is once you catch yourself in anger once and take a deep breath, it becomes that much easier to do it again the next time and that much easier to do it again the next time. And so rather than say getting frustrated at yourself that you allowed yourself to get riled up and get angry and stay angry for 30 minutes, you can say, oh, but I caught myself 25 minutes in. Yep. And that's better than had I not done that at all. And as you continue to practice that muscle, eventually you'll be able to catch yourself 25 seconds in and short circuit that neural pathway that was leading to your stress and your anxiety and your anger. Perfect example is meditation, isn't it? The advice is just do a minute of meditation, then turn it to two, double that. And next thing you know, you're doing 30 minutes of meditation and the, the progress to get to that point. You've had so many milestones and so many mini achievements that it becomes a practice that you can easily uh, adopt once you get to that point. Exactly. And once you get to that point, you're more than likely already seeing the positive changes in your temperament and in your ability to handle other stressful situations in your life. Yep. There's this, this beautiful Buddhist saying that says everyone should meditate for 15 minutes a day. 
And if you don't have 15 minutes, you should meditate an hour a day. <laughs> because the, the concept is that the more you meditate, the more easily you're able to move through time and things that would have taken so much of your energy and your exertion are put into perspective, thus allowing you more spaciousness to be able to move forward. And like you said, that starts with 10 seconds. Stop and breathe deeply for 10 seconds. And you've now begun a new neural pathway that is different from not having done that, which is lowering your blood pressure, which is decreasing your cortisol, just increasing the GABA receptors in your brain, the GABA activity in your brain, which are all things that lead to more calm, more peace, more focus, more productivity. And who isn't looking for that in their life? Mm -hmm. Just for our listeners, what does mindfulness mean to you? Mindfulness to me is knowing that this moment is all I have control over. Any thoughts that I'm having about changing the present moment are either based on past experience or future projections. And mindfulness to me is truly, you know, not to sound trite, it's joy. It's that moment of pure awe and joy that many of us have when we see something stunning in nature. All time stops and the only thing that exists is this beautiful, stunning view for a moment. That's mindfulness. You're not worrying about what happened yesterday. You're not worrying about how you're getting down the mountain later. In that one moment, that moment where it's almost as though your thoughts do stop because you are so present in this beautiful, awe-inspiring natural phenomenon in front of you. And I use nature because that's where most people are able to find a connection with that. But it's truly any moment where you are fully present. Perhaps it's the birth of your child and you're fully present in that moment. You're not worried about what's going to happen in your, with your child's life down the road and you're not worried about what happened yesterday. In the, that moment, you're so focused that it's pure joy. And that to me is mindfulness. Is there any advice when it comes to mindfulness in this present moment with the COVID-19 and the coronavirus? Are there tips that you can advise to our listeners, specifically using mindfulness to kind of help them through such uncertainty in tough times? Yeah, mindfulness and meditation are so key right now as everyone's routine around the world is being disruptive and there's so much uncertainty about you know how long it's going to last or the outcome and so the tip that i would give for someone who finds themselves maybe more anxious or fearful than they would like to be is to pause and take a deep breath and feel whatever part of your body is touching another object. If you're sitting on a chair, it's your bum and your legs, maybe your feet, if your hands are resting on something. And as you take a breath, you focus on the fact that your body is here taking up space and that is all you have control over. All you can focus on in terms of controlling the outcome is whether you are breathing in and out slowly and deliberately because everything that's happening outside in the world certainly what's going to happen with this virus is out of your control. And once you've come back into that moment of mindfulness within your body, you face the next decision in front of you, which is 
how do I keep my family safe? Well, I tell them to, to social distance. I make sure they're washing their hands. I, you know, it's, it's just each small decision at a time, as opposed to trying to worry about everything in this great big picture. You want to bring it right back in to a sphere of influence that you have control over. And again, in mindfulness, the only thing you have control over is this present moment. Are you here physically taking up space, breathing? And once you know that's true, then you can start to dissipate some of the anxiety that exists outside of that moment. I love the fact that you said the first thing that we should do is to pause, which I don't think is the first response for anyone that's going through COVID-19 is, no, I need to panic. I need to panic purchase. I need to, you know, there's that survival instinct that kicks in. But unless we pause and actually assess what it is that we're truly aware of in terms of the people around us and our thoughts, I don't think that's going to solve any problems, just being in panic. It's the same thing that anyone who has ever been on a flight in the 20th century and 21st century has heard. And it is, if there's a a lack of oxygen, you put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you attempt to help others, before you can assess the situation. And that to me is what that mindfulness is. If you're able to pause for 10 seconds and take a deep breath and know the space that your body is taking up in this universe, you're going to be able to make more effective, focused decisions moving forward from that moment on. And realistically, if you need to pause five times in any given situation in order to return to your body and take that deep breath, again, you're going to be that much more prepared to deal with a larger situation when it arises. The panic buying and the anxiety of people, you know, who are watching the news cycle 24-7, all of that, in my opinion, is an attempt to control. It's attempt to, to understand. If I understand everything, I'll feel safe and in control. If I have enough food and stuff packed up for a decade, then at least I'll feel in control. But the true control lies in the fact that you have no control over anything, except again, the fact that you are here in this moment right now. You control your breath, you control how your body is moving and taking up space. And each time you can come back to that, it brings the problem smaller and smaller and smaller into a space right in front of you that you can manage. Talking about mindfulness and meditation, are you a big fan of Vipassana? Yes, so I have been a Vipassana meditator since 2015. I was made aware of it years ago, but did not feel fully called and prepared to do it until 2015. That is the school of meditation that I follow. And for me, it is mindfulness wrapped up in the discipline of sitting in meditation. Yeah. Just for our our listeners, are you able to quickly explain what Vipassana is? Sure. Vipassana is a style of meditation. Historically, it is what the Gautama Buddha taught himself to people when they came to learn from him. And it centers around being focused on individual sensations in your body, as opposed to what those sensations may mean or may be originating from. So for example, instead of experiencing a pain and saying, ow, that hurts, what is that pain from? What can I do to to fix that pain? 
in a Vipassana meditator's mind, it simply becomes, I observe pain. And there's no positive or negative attribution given to it. It's simply an observation of what is in this moment, mindfulness. The reason why I ask that is because a lot of people at the moment are forced into quarantine. They're in self-isolation. And I know that within my circle of friends and the immediate community that there's a lot of resistance in self-isolation because you know they're saying, I need to work, I need to do this. Yeah. But then it's about observing, well, how come your immediate response is, is such a negative response? You're given the opportunity to take some time off, yet that's causing you a bit of stress. And that for me is quite conflicting. It's conflicting thought because there's time that you can use to reassess for the future, yet it's causing you stress. And it's causing stress to alter someone's routine. If your routine has existed for years that you wake up and you have your coffee and you get in the car and you drive in traffic and you see the same people in your office and then you come home and you have the same around the same dinner time. I mean, it's a routine and we can go back to the neuroplasticity of it that your brain thrives on routines. And as soon as you try to change that routine, it becomes uncomfortable for your brain and apparently uncomfortable physically to some people as well. But this moment that we have is disrupting people's routines enough that they're suddenly becoming aware of what's outside of that, that given prescribed timeline. Mm -hmm. And the way that I would describe it is like the scene in The Wizard of Oz where Dorothy has lived in black and white in Kansas and she lands and opens the door and suddenly everything is in color. That's the opportunity we have right now. Everything was black and white, was formulaic, was predictable, including the stress of what needs to get done and what has to happen and, and where I need to be. And now you've been gifted with this novelty of seeing everything outside of that routine. It's, it can be a truly beautiful moment if people can experience it that way, that, oh, I actually miss traffic now. I, I, I kind of liked the honking and I, and I liked the getting up early and, I, you know, whatever it is. But you can't really appreciate that until you're seeing everything in color. Mm -hmm. And are you also seeing any common themes? Because I know that you're based in New York, the epicenter of what is the COVID-19 at the moment. Are you seeing any common themes in the external environment at the moment? The common themes that I've heard from people as I've been talking is uncertainty, which is not an emotion that most humans deal with well uncertainty is why, you know, religions were formed is because the idea of not knowing what happens to us when we die was really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so now here we are in a moment where pretty much everything is uncertain. In our lifetimes, we've certainly never experienced anything like this before. And so whether or not you're going to have the finances to pay the way that you normally do is uncertain whether or not your job will exist is uncertain, whether or not people that you know and love will be impacted by the virus is uncertain, and how long this will last is uncertain, and what the world looks like on the other side is uncertain. And I'm sure for some people listening, even my like delineating those things has caused a lot of anxiety because that's how uncertainty feels. 
Yep. But then my reminder in that theme of uncertainty is everything is always uncertain. The only thing that you truly, truly have control over is the present moment. So what this, this global crisis has done is raised our awareness to the impermanence of what we thought was permanent. On the concept of uncertainty, what's going through your head in terms of the what next? What's next for Jenny? What's, what's in the, the store pipe in the next 12 to 24 months? I feel truly blessed that I have the experience that I have with mindfulness and meditation to be able to offer it to people at this time. So that feels good. It feels good to know that I can be of service. And the uncertainty for me, of course, is I rely on traveling to give workshops and I rely on people wanting to hear what I have to say. And in this moment, perhaps they're not as as interested in hearing about how to to reduce stress in the workplace because they're not in the workplace and are not thinking about that. And the uncertainty that I have is how different will everyone's work life path look at the end of all this. I have the blessing of being open to that change, to not feel fearful or anxious for that change because I welcome it. But I see a lot more flexibility with online learning platforms. I see a lot more forgiveness in terms of what's happening globally with the stock market and and with finances that there's going to have to be a lot more forgiveness and a lot more patience than we've had certainly in the last 10 years but maybe in in most people's lifetimes and i see hopefully i'm hopeful to see a lot of the coming together of the collective so that we all recognize how supporting each other is going to make a difference in all of this. Yep. It doesn't return to the status quo, which in the Western world is very individualistic and very, you know, protecting me and mine. And my hope is moving forward, this has now opened people's eyes to ours, what is ours and what we can do together. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that you mentioned the word collective and ours because that's what it is now, isn't it? Because it's how the collective responds to this threat and how the collective responds to it will dictate the end result because this is how viruses spread is contact and people not listening to the guidelines of self-isolation. So if we all do it and we all do it well, the impacts are less. But all it takes is one person and they come in contact with another person and that multiplies exponentially that spread. So great to hear those words. It's beautiful to watch, honestly, on social media, I've seen, you know, celebrities, of course, are are putting their two cents in, but almost everybody that I follow and that I see on social media is saying, hey, we need to do this together. You know, you're staying home and everything's getting canceled for my grandparents, for your parents. And that awakening to that connectivity really is, has been beautiful to watch. In addition to how many people I've seen like stepping up to help who are, you know, landlords waiving rent for several months or businesses who are delivering for free because they know that people have lost their jobs or neighbors helping neighbors in a way that 
I hope has always exist, existed, but has never been quite as visible and quite as visceral as it is right now that we are all responsible for each other. Jenny, we're just running out of time. Is there anything that I've left out that you'd like to quickly speak about? Um, I would just like to double down on this idea of resilience because I've certainly talked about it as a tool and as a, as a practice, as a muscle that we have. But perhaps I failed to mention that the most beautiful gift you can receive from a mindfulness practice and, and exercising these tools towards resilience mm-hmm. is a foundation and a, and a firm belief in hope that everything that you are experiencing at this moment is but a moment that this too will also pass that looking historically at how humankind has weathered other biological pandemics that we're going to be okay life might be different and it might not be what we had had in mind. It might, it might change from, from what your plan was, but we're going to be okay. And resilience, I think, gives people a little bit of hope in that darkness. Again, if I can just say in this moment right now, anybody listening, you and I talking, all we have is our breath. the feeling of weight, knowing that we are connected to the earth and knowing that we're all connected to each other right now in this moment and we're going to be okay. Connectedness, that's fantastic that you've used that word again. And when you speak about hope in the concept of resilience, I work in project management space and the projects that I work on, resilience is a big topic, but more so in terms of redundancy and you know, everlasting is, is a term that we use when it comes to the spirituality and that inner resilience. If someone who isn't self-aware of their ability to be resilient to emotions or their response to resilience, is there any quick practices or guidances that you can instill on our listeners to kind of understand what resilience really means to them? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that the easiest, the quickest sort of intro step to resilience is thinking of a moment in your past, recent past or distant past, that you thought for sure you were not going to survive. That you thought for sure in that moment, everything was falling apart and it was never going to be good again. And if you can pinpoint that moment and then take a deep breath and recognize where you are now, you survived it, you are here. There might have been consequences of that devastating moment in the past, but you are here surviving it, living it in control of your breath and the space you're taking up in this moment. That's a reminder, again, that we are so much more resilient than we often give ourselves credit for. We think of resilience as being able to bounce back and be healthy and have exactly what it was you know, before this, this tragic event happened, but that's not what resilience is. Resilience is how well you're able to weather that stressful situation and reminding yourself of all the stressful situations that you have already weathered and that you've already come through is the first step in recognizing your own strength. I just have one last question. You're about to do something that you've never done before. So there's uncertainty. There's a high level of stress and anxiety. What's going through your head at the moment and how do you cope? I've never done this before, so how could I possibly know what the outcome is? 
take a big, deep breath and take the step. Wow. It's crazy that something so simple can be so powerful. Yeah. Jenny, thank you for being on the Stressless Entrepreneur podcast. It has been a pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity and the work that you're doing. There you have it, guys. Thank you for tuning into the Stressless Entrepreneur podcast with me, your host, Tommy Bowie. If you like what you've heard today, please make sure you subscribe to our show and share this podcast with your friends. Leave us a review so that we can take on your comments, grow with you as a channel, and keep providing you quality, stress-free content. If you have a story to tell or just want to say hi, drop me an email on hello at thestresslessentrepreneur.com. I'll catch you all on the next episode.